Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm joined by Judd Leck, the writer of the independent newsletter, Popular Information. Before that, he founded Think Progress and worked on the 2008 Hillary Clinton for President campaign as research director. Judd, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. You know, one of the things that we've been talking about really since January 6th was this idea of corporate accountability and keeping track of those companies that said, you know, in the wake of the insurrection, you know, some said we're not going to give to anybody, right, for the time being. Others said we're not going to give specifically to those members of Congress, Republican members of Congress in the House and Senate who voted not to certify the 2020 election. But now we're seeing a lot of backsliding. And so talk to me about first, A, does that surprise you? And B, what does that say more about how you think that, you know, corporate America is really seeing where we are in the context of our politics today? Well, I think it shows that for a number of corporations, what happened in January 6th was really a PR problem. And they put out a statement to try to solve that PR problem at that moment. And they've been taking the pulse. And for some of them, as soon as they thought an appropriate amount of time had passed, they've gone back basically to business as usual. So I think that's the case for some of the corporations. And I think it reflects the reality that although the dollar figures aren't that big when you go into it because they're limited under the law, it's an essential part of the way DC works. You give that check, you have the contact, you can get the meeting if you want to. And I think one thing that people maybe don't appreciate about the money is how easy it is compared to some of the alternative ways you have to go about getting this money, which is getting on the phone and trying to talk to people and trying to convince them the money will just come. So I think that that's the case for some corporations. Other corporations are sticking by it. And you know some of them have even said that they're going to do it for a particular period of time or indefinitely or permanently. But there's definitely that gravitational pull back to the way that Washington has worked for a lot of time, which is that you try to grease all the wheels you can to get the train moving in the direction that you want it to move. I mean, none of this is a surprise. You know, corporate contributions to candidates and committees. And I want to talk about the committee angle here, too, for a second. But, you know, you mentioned something about this isn't a lot of money, right? I think the maximum a corporate PAC can give to a federal candidate is $5,000. Yeah, 5000 per election. So you can go to ten for the primary and the general. Okay, so $10,000 per election every two years, let's call it. So corporations get a hell of a lot of bang for the buck out of this stuff. That's right. I think that it's a nominal amount for virtually all of these companies, and it's appreciated by the members. And although 
over time, as low-dollar fundraising has been bolstered up by the internet because it makes it a lot easier and a lot more viable to collect $10 checks or $20 checks and things of that nature, there are still a big chunk, especially some of these incumbents who've been around for a long time, who raise 50, 60, 75, or 80 percent even on the high end of their whole re-election funds from corporate PACs. So for some members of Congress, it's extremely important. And also, you know, trying to stop corporate campaign contributions, like any campaign contributions or super PAC contributions, the money will flow elsewhere. So even if one company said, we're not going to give to seditionist member X, they still give to the National Republican Congressional Committee. They still give to the National Republican Senatorial Committee. They'll give to this leadership pack or that leadership pack. But the bottom line is that the money all ultimately flows to wherever it's intended to go, right? I think in a lot of cases that's happening, that you know, we just had on the 20th of July the latest report from those multi-candidate committees, the NRCC for the House, the NRSC for the Senate. And you did start to see even more corporations, ones that have not given to any of those 147 donors, and some of them have even pledged not to give to those 147 for at least this whole cycle, start to give to the NRCC, start to give to the NRSC. Google was a company that just started giving to the NRCC. So I think you, you're starting to see that flow. And then the other place that it goes are the 527s, because there you have unlimited donations to the Republican Governors Association, to the Republican State Leadership Committee, to the Republican Attorneys General Association, and that's unlimited. So you can give 100000 you can give a million to that, and we're going to find out which companies have been doing that at the end of July. Those filings will come out. Right. Listen, I mean, I've attended more Republican Governors Association events than I can probably count. In fact, I believe I produced one probably in 2009, maybe 2006. I don't even remember, you know, at a very fancy resort in San Diego. And, you know, the truth is, is that there's the governor's circle or whatever. And then on the other side, having been a public affairs consultant for many corporations who wanted to get involved in politics or had a state issue, they're like, well, we want to give $5,000 to the RGA. And I'm like, you can do that. But the truth is, it's the big guys who are given half a million, million dollars a year who are going to get the one-on-ones with the governors themselves, the one-on-ones with the legislative chiefs, the one-on-one with the chiefs of staff. And as you know, 50 states, everybody's got their issues. You know, big companies, AT&T or whoever it is, have affiliates either in specific states or by regions. And in these places, the money can be big, but it also buys a hell of a lot. Yeah. And I think the other thing is the fact that it's funneled through the RGA, which theoretically is supporting all the Republican governor's candidates, it gives you some plausible deniability because it's not like it's necessarily going straight to Greg Abbott in Texas and you're responsible for everything he's doing. Although, of course, there's companies that donate large amounts straight to Greg Abbott. We saw AT&T do that. But I think that's why these 527s are so attractive. And also the trade associations, which is another big part of this. But that's why the 527s are so attractive, because it puts that layer between you, the company, and the politician, which makes it even better because you get that access to whoever you're hoping to get access from, but you don't have that straight line connection between you and whatever they're doing, especially as the politics has become more and more extreme in some of these states. So 
first of all, popular information, your newsletter comes out every day and we'll get the web address before we let you go today. But I'll tell you folks, Judd and his team do more good work day in and day out than anybody. I don't know how you guys do it. I literally don't. And I don't think there's that many of you. But all of the information that certainly we need to do the work that we do is there on a daily basis and a huge asset to our efforts. Why does a Lockheed Martin max out their pack to a Matt Gates? I mean, this is a guy who's fundamentally unserious. You know, he's a clown traveling the country with Marjorie Taylor Greene, another clown. You know, he potentially could be under federal indictment. Why would they give him money? Well, I think Lockheed, from the best I can tell, is looking for friends in Congress wherever they can find them. And they've got this massive contract. It's not just them, but they're the lead contractor for the F-35. It's been in trouble for a long time. There was just a big report from the Government Accountability Office that came out saying, this thing is not working. It's way over budget. It's unaffordable. And so I think they're looking towards potentially 2022 and the Republicans getting back in power then and maybe saving it. One of the things we reported you know, earlier this month was that Lockheed had overtaken Toyota and become the top contributor to the 147 Republican objectors. And I think it's because for them, it's all about how many friends can we get because we were trying to save this project and that trumps everything else. You know, you do see these corporations coming back into that 147, but generally it's a certain segment of them. And there's some people who are pretty well cut off because of, you know, like a Mo Brooks and folks like that who really were, you know, on the stage telling people to go and, and kick some ass and everything else. But Lockheed has dipped into that crew too. And they're kind of out front of that. Now, it may be that other corporations follow them, but right now they're definitely going places that other corporations are not yet prepared to go. And I believe Boeing is another one of those, right? Yeah. I mean, I think Boeing is big, General Dynamics. Clearly, the defense contractors are out in front. Raytheon, interestingly, is an exception to that. I haven't really seen them do anything. It, it might be coming or they might be taking perhaps a more responsible approach. But if you look at the companies that have really given to a lot of people so far, most of them, when they've given, have kind of dipped their toes in. That's why Toyota and, and others Lockheed have gotten some flack when they start giving to dozens and dozens of the objectors because they do stick out because that's not what we've seen so far for the most part. So let's talk about Toyota for a second. So you have been doing a lot of work on covering who Toyota has been giving to. Crew has been doing a lot of work on that too. A couple of weeks ago, we launched an ad campaign against them. Interestingly enough, Comcast would not run it. And previous to that, you know, they had put out this statement that said, you know, we're not going to judge members of Congress based on one vote, based on the vote on January 6th. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce said the same thing. The Chamber of Commerce is a different beast because, much like the RGA or anybody else, it's a trade association, right? It takes a lot of big money from a lot of different companies. But for Toyota, admittedly not an American company. I mean, it builds a lot of cars here. It's got its North American headquarters north of Dallas. It came off as so tone-deaf to anybody who really pays attention to this stuff, I've done a lot of plenty of corporate PR in my life. Of all the things I think I could have had my contract PR firm write, that would not have been it. <laughs> take me inside the C-suite. Take our listeners inside the executive offices of this. Do the CEOs not get it? Do they not care? Do the people working for them just not understand? Like, what do you think is going on in there? 
Well, and I've done some reporting on this. There is a big pushback on this whole idea that corporations should change anything based on January 6th. There are people, and that includes members of Congress, it includes their staff, it definitely includes the lobbyists that they hire, who are telling people, you've got to start giving right away. It's been interesting watching the Chamber of Commerce because right around January 6th, they were fairly supportive initially of these companies who were cutting it off donations. And they, in fact, said, although they didn't say anything definitive, they indicated that we also believe that there's people who we shouldn't support because they donate to people through a PAC, but also the Chamber of Commerce runs independent expenditures. They're a pretty big player in politics overall. So they were saying, you know, some of the people who are involved in this, we're going to cut off too. But then starting in March, just a couple months afterwards, they came out with this memo. They put it on their website using that language. Right. And they released it from like someone like six levels down from <laughs> like the executives. Yeah. They did it kind of quietly. Somebody tipped me off to it. They said, hey, this thing just appeared on the Chamber of Commerce website. You should check it out. It wasn't private, but it wasn't a big release. And I haven't seen too many companies really embrace it. But to me, it's a clear sign that Toyota went to the Chamber of Commerce and said, hey, how do we do this? And I do think it's a lack of understanding both of how strongly people were impacted by what happened on January 6th and also the modern consumer who cares about what they buy and the values of the companies that they support. There's a weird disconnect because clearly there's a lot of people in corporate America who understand that. That's why you hear so much about corporate values and you know a lot of the advertisements you see on TV are not about the products themselves they're about how wonderful these corporations are and their deeply held values and all the good they're doing for the world but that message i don't think has translated over to the government affairs sections of a lot of these corporations so you have people going in very opposite directions you have the public messaging on one side and then you have their political spending, some of which is secret, some of which we learn through FEC disclosures. And that's a lot of the work that I'm trying to do is to try to show the disconnect between what these corporations are saying and how they're spending their money. That's really how I got started on this in the first place was when corporations started saying in the aftermath of the 2020 election, we believe Biden won. We think there should be a peaceful transfer of power. I mean, there were letters and statements and it was a whole huge thing where corporate America was trying to get behind this. But at the same time, they're the ones who have been supporting the folks that ultimately set the stage for January 6th by objecting to the Electoral College. And it went from there. Remember, too, that Toyota, again, they build a bunch of cars here. They have North American headquarters here. They are the lead sponsor for the U.S. Olympic team is sort of incongruous as that can seem. But also, as you pointed out, they're a consumer brand. I don't know how many different sedans are on the market. I don't know how many different subcompacts are on the market. I don't know how many SUVs or pickup trucks are on the market. But the truth is, is that the average American consumer isn't short of choices on what kind of car they can buy. So all of the work that you did, all of the work the crew did, and then, you know, we came in with an ad campaign and they backed off, at least for the time being, right? And they said, okay, well, we're not going to give to these people. But I sort of go back to the Reagan idea, right? Like trust, but verify. Yeah. And I think probably the, the ad campaign 
it probably got the public affairs people and the communications people in the room together and they were saying, well, what the hell is going on? You know, like, why are we now the subject of this kind of campaign so that we can give $1,000 to, and that's all Toyota was giving, just $1,000 at a time for most of these folks. You know, some of the people they were giving to were not just people who voted that way, but people who've been spending the last three or four months talking about how essential that vote was and standing by it and promoting all of the lies that Trump has said subsequently. So when you start looking at the consequences for a consumer brand like Toyota, it's clearly not worth it for them. Now, if you look at like a Lockheed Martin, consumers aren't making a choice to buy an F-35 or not. You know That choice is made for them by other people. So they're much less susceptible to this. I don't think they're completely inoculated from it, but they're definitely much, much less susceptible than a big consumer brand. You know, AT&T is another one. So down in Texas, Governor Greg Abbott calls a special session of the legislature to push through a voting restriction bill that he didn't get done during the course of the regular legislative session in 2021. The same day he does that, AT&T, based in Dallas, gives him $100,000. But, you know, AT&T is one of those, and I went back and looked at this, if you look at their corporate statements about equity and racial justice in the aftermath of George Floyd's killing last summer, they said all the right things. But I think to your point, there's an inside game and an outside game, which is they say all these flowery things. They probably give maybe millions of dollars to local community organizations, either because they think it's good PR or you know, if they merge with somebody, they were forced to do it. But AT&T is sort of one of the biggest dogs in corporate politics. And now they seem to have two completely divided streams of thought when it comes to this stuff, which is we'll say whatever it is we need to say, but we're going to go do whatever's best for us anyway. Yeah, I think looking at it, there hasn't been a company that's really been more disingenuous than AT&T throughout this entire year. Just in Texas in particular, you know, there were a couple of Texas companies, American Airlines and Dell, who write as the debate on voting rights got started, came out with pretty strong statements saying not just that they supported voting rights, but they were against these bills that were being introduced. AT&T came out with a statement saying, we support the right to vote, but we're not experts at it. It's very complicated. And ultimately, it's up to the elected officials to make these determinations. Okay. So they're sort of trying to stay out of it. But you can't say that and then at the same time as this debate is raging, give Greg Abbott $100,000 because you are saying this is the elected official we want in office. This is a guy who defunded the entire Texas state legislature because of their failure, in his view, to pass voting rights legislation. Yeah. And the idea that AT&T in Texas just doesn't understand this isn't their expertise they don't understand how things work you know i've spent actually quite a bit of time talking to people down in texas as this whole thing has unfolded cuz there's been so much action and people are telling me AT&T is really known as the fourth branch of the texas government i mean they have around 80 lobbyists who are there so if AT&T wanted to get something done if they wanted to improve these bills they wanted to kill the bill they know how to do it they have the juice, they have the power. So to act like they don't and that they sort of stay in their lane is pretty disingenuous. And I can tell you, having done work for AT&T in California years ago, I think it's probably public employees that in California serve as the fourth branch of government. 
But AT&T is certainly, if not the biggest corporate player, then, you know, in the top three. And I don't know if they do it anymore with COVID, but every year they used to host something called the Speaker's Cup at Pebble Beach. And that was the gathering. That was the political gathering of the year. You know, the Speaker of the House came down. You know, all the Democratic committee chairs came down. All the lobbyists came down. And it was three days of sun, fun, and golf. Not at, like, the Muni course in Sacramento, but at Pebble freaking Beach, where I think greens fees are like $700. These are real people spending real money to get their things on. Now, of course, in California, they have a pretty tight public utilities commission. Obviously, half the Democratic majority is pretty activist, so they're always trying to win that one vote in whatever committee it is. And we know that, look, in Washington, D.C., I have to assume that they have a pretty serious leadership role with the big corporate groups, whether or not it's the chamber or the business roundtable. They probably have, I don't know how many lobbyists in Washington, D.C., but they're not afraid to throw their weight around when it suits their purposes. Yeah, they're not afraid to throw their weight around. And I think, as you mentioned, and it goes beyond just racial justice, but specifically on voting rights, they lean into this issue. I mean, for one thing, they have a lot of employees, black employees and employees of all races who are really invested in voting rights. And if you look, there's videos of them reenacting John Lewis's march in Selma. I mean, there is so much content prior to 2021, so much content, and even in 2021 for that matter, but so much content really positioning AT&T as a champion of voting rights. And then this moment came where they had a real ability to have some kind of impact, particularly in Texas, and they've they've really gone the opposite way. I mean, they tried to pretend that they were neutral, but I think with this latest donation to Greg Abbott in the middle of effectively a tantrum that he threw because he wasn't able to get various restrictions. Interestingly enough, some of the restrictions that he was so upset didn't get through. The Republicans once the quorum was broken, and so they weren't able to get them through in the initial session, dropped some of these restrictions because they couldn't defend them. So they dropped the restrictions on Sunday voting. They dropped real crazy provision that went in that would have allowed judges to overturn election results without really even evidence that any fraud impacted the election. So it's been quite something to watch how AT&T has operated. Well, and also remember that they gave 100000 bucks to Greg Abbott who is sitting on a war chest of about 50 million, five zero million dollars for his reelection campaign next year. So this is not exactly like the Abbott for, you know, Abbott 2022 campaign couldn't make payroll because they were desperately waiting on AT&T's cash. But, you know, I want to take it out of the purely financial and I want to talk to you about something that you hit on with, you know, AT&T talking about, you know, how important voting rights were in 2020 and before, but when when it came time for these issues to be front and center in Georgia, for example, Delta didn't say much. Coca-Cola didn't say much until after these bills were passed and signed. And then they started to raise a big ruckus, you know, and we know that there were several other CEOs who passionately came out in favor of voting rights. But now a lot of that seems to have cooled off, even though there's still a voting rights fight going on on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. We still have an active fight in Texas. Remember, we have another legislative session for a lot of these states before Election Day 2022. So what do you think happened? Did people just decide, like, we're bored with this? No one cares anyway. No one's paying attention. You know, we can get back to business as usual. What's your sense of why some of these CEOs and some of these companies 
took a pretty solid stand on voting rights or against voting restrictions and now have sort of ebbed back into the ocean. Well, they tried to make an example of Delta. Of course, the voting bill had already been signed into law. The session was ending, but the Georgia House, right in the last couple of days, passed a provision that would have revoked a tax credit on fuel that Delta apparently saves a lot of money from. And it didn't get taken up by the Senate, but I think that was the idea, was to show that there were going to be consequences. We saw this in Texas as well. They proposed amendments that would have essentially said that any company that speaks out against these bills wouldn't be eligible for different kinds of grants and incentives in the state of Texas. Those didn't pass either. But I think that that's just what we're seeing publicly. Right. And remember, we remember, too, Mitch McConnell came out and I think it was a misstep for him. I think he was really flipped out and he said, mind your own business. That was not McConnell at his best. I think he got a little weirded out by the whole thing. And I think eventually he walked that back because he realized that it wasn't where he wanted to go. But I think that that's what we're seeing. That's kind of the tip of the iceberg. My sense is that behind the scenes, there's even more aggressive intimidation to say that if you continue speaking out about this, there will be consequences. And I think what we've seen is from a place where there was a moment in time, probably the peak was right around when Delta and Coca-Cola put out those statements. And then, of course, Major League Baseball took away the All-Star game from Atlanta. You know, that was a fairly major move after they had already passed the bill, but they took it away. And you've started to really see a pullback and you don't see much going on. In fact, what is less obvious is the role that corporations are taking to actually oppose this legislation because you still have corporations who are giving lots of money to the Republican State Leadership Committee, which is pushing these bills everywhere. You still see the corporations, almost all of them are funding the Chamber of Commerce, which is scoring these votes in the federal level, saying that they're opposed to federal efforts to protect voting rights. So I think that the reality is, although you saw some rumbling, some sense that corporations might be headed into a direction where they were going to be more vocal about this and really gone the other way. And it wasn't really always like this. You know, in 2006, Walmart came out and said, hey, we need to renew the Voting Rights Act. I mean, it used to be that corporations voting was an issue where corporations felt like this was nonpartisan. And so regardless of the politics, they could get behind voting. But it's just not the case anymore. Well, I mean, we were hearing, you know, back in January as everything was going down that McCarthy and his staff were calling every big company's chief lobbyist in Washington, D.C., saying you better turn the spigot back on because when I'm speaker in 2023, you know, there's going to be hell to pay. Obviously, McConnell says what he says. I think it was Rick Scott, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio all wrote their own things, basically saying like corporations get back in line or, you know, you're going to be in trouble. Ironically enough for, you know, the supposed party of the free market. And so how do you convince CEOs, many of whom are probably hopping three, four years at a stretch? They want to get that stock price up. You know, they want to get whatever bonus is coming to them and they want to move on. They're business people. This is not something they want to get into. And you've got government affairs folks saying, Mr. Brown, I'm just telling you, I'm telling you, we get involved in this. There's going to be trouble for us on the regulatory side. 
there's going to be trouble for us on the legislative side. There's going to be trouble for us on the tax side. And it's going to cost us X dollars or X percent of profit a quarter for the next three years. And, you know, better to stay quiet and just hope this passes. But of course, ignoring it and hoping it'll go away almost never works out. It's a difficult issue, but I think what we've seen, you know, and you saw that a little bit with Toyota, it's really just a cost-benefit analysis. I'm sure Toyota heard those same messages, but at a certain point, if there are more costs on the other side, whether that's consumers, whether that's, you know, as we were talking about earlier, the employees, whatever that is, brand reputation, if that's also valuable and if they feel like that cost is going to be higher then We've seen with Toyota that there's still some resonance to this. And that's kind of less what I do, but I'm hoping that the information, there'll be people who can take it and use it to get that information out there so that there will be costs. Because I think a lot of what we've seen historically has been there's so little information that's going out publicly that it's all on one side. The member of Congress knows whether or not the corporation has donated to them, but the public has no idea whether or not the corporation has donated to that politician. So why not give them the money if there's going to be any benefit at all? So I think that's the transition we're trying to make where before it was just like, oh, could we get any benefit from this member of Congress or this senator, regardless of if they're a horrible person or not? You know, Might they be helpful on this committee vote or some other issue that we're interested in? Sure. Let's throw them some money. But it's trying to change that equation. It's difficult. But I do think it's possible. Right. Well, because the system, and there's probably no better example of a closed system than the national political system inside the Beltway, it wants to return to the mean. It wants to go back to the way it understands. So let me ask you this. Do they not fundamentally understand that like this is not a normal time, that this is not about committee hearings and commas in bills? that there's something far more fundamental at play and that somebody needs to wake them up and say, this is not about Republicans and Democrats and the bill you want and the bill you don't want. This is about the fundamental underpinnings of how we operate. And hey, guys, this is going to figure in how you operate, right? I mean, we saw a little bit of taste of this with Trump in office where he was perfectly willing to call out companies that made him angry. He was perfectly willing to get involved in the, quote, free market or, you know, the market economy when it suited his political needs or when he'd been somehow singed by something they wanted. Or, you know, when we saw that Warner's AT&T merger because he hated CNN so much, we've had a little preview of Trump. We've seen it in other countries, right? I think Putin is the biggest and best example of what happens when otherwise private concerns, you know, get crossways with him. So how do you convince corporate America that this is not a normal time, that they have a lot to lose personally for the executives and professionally for the people that work there and economically for you know their bottom lines? Well, it's tough. I think that there was definitely a moment after January 6th where it wasn't normal for these companies to say anything about what they're going to do in the future regarding their political contributions. I remember when I was doing this work in 2018, it took me a while to get companies even to say that they were going to stop donating to Steve King as he was spouting white nationalist talking points on a weekly basis. They eventually came around. But as of 2018, AT&T and many major companies were still donating money to Steve King when he had a long history of this. 
So I think there was a moment, and at this point, it's less about convincing them and more about seeing if the public can continue to be invested in this issue so that they see that that moment has not passed. Because I think if they believe that the moment has passed, you'll just see everything return to normal. Right. And of course, that's what, again, you know, the system otherwise, its inertia wants it to continue to move forward. It doesn't want to change. But let me ask you this, too, is I don't know if you consider yourself a member of the media or how you see it, but do you think the national press corps suffers from a little of this sort of blindness to the new reality in which we live, that they still want to make this about Republicans versus Democrats and the sort of small ball fights and, you know, how important it is that, you know, staffer X went to lobby shop 22. I mean, it still seems like some of the coverage doesn't seem to understand fundamentally what's going on. I agree with that. And I think that's part of why this went on for as long as it did, meaning that you saw the Republican Party become more and more radicalized, but it didn't cost them any corporate support. And there was really no coverage linking that corporate support to the increasingly radical Republican congressional delegation. And that's why someone like myself, who has a two-person newsletter, why we were the ones who, after January 6th, were the ones calling these companies and asking, at least in the first instance, now ultimately it was redone and done with even more companies by CNN and other folks. But on the first instance, we contacted the companies and asked if they were still going to give to these politicians who made that vote. And I think the reason why is because so many people, I think for a lot of reporters in D.C., just the idea that, oh, yeah, these companies give to Democrats and they give to Republicans, and that's just sort of the way things are done and it will never change. That was the perspective they took at it. So I think that, yes, it does require a new perspective on the media side as well. And that's another thing, in addition to some of this corporate money that we've seen going back, you do see some of the media kind of, there was a while where there was a lot of stuff going on, a lot of reporting. You're still seeing some of the reporting, but a lot of folks have lost interest and are, you know, moving on to whatever the next issue is. Well, and I think, you know, in the newsletter culture that is Washington, D.C., too, where a lot of these folks get lots of big checks from corporations. They're either title sponsors of events or of whatever their daily tip sheet is. And so, you know, poking someone in the eye that, you know, is providing you, you know, maybe six or seven figures a month worth of funding is probably not a great way to keep that revenue stream going. Yeah. And I think this probably operates subconsciously more than, oh, yes, you know, I'm not going to report on this person because they've given me X amount of money, because a lot of times the people writing about it aren't really receiving the money. But you do see this report has been sponsored by Google. If, if that's the newsletter you're writing, you see that every day for a couple of weeks, like you'll understand. And ultimately, it's part of the same influence industry. And the reason why they're sponsoring the events, the newsletters, everything else they sponsor in DC is to influence the staffers, influence the members of Congress, influence the whole cadre of folks. It's in many respects very similar to the reasons why they're giving money to these congressional campaigns, why they're giving money to the Chamber of Commerce, why they're giving money to these 527 groups. It's all part of the same ecosystem. So yes, they're not well positioned to critique that ecosystem if they are part of it. So that's an advantage that I have coming from more of an outside perspective because I don't operate in that world. And nor do we anymore. 
we're both veterans of that world. We were parts of the hive or the matrix, right? We broke out of the matrix and we're running around the cellars at this point, watching out for the bad guys. Um, I'll stop with the matrix metaphors. But, you know, Warner Media is owned by AT&T, at least for now. MSNBC is owned by Comcast. Fox is Fox. And so, you know, if you go off pinging the hell out of Comcast for doing X or Y or AT&T for doing one and two, you know, at some point, somebody in Dallas might call somebody in New York and say, I'm really sick of seeing that guy kicking the hell out of me on Morning Joe every morning on my airwaves. Like, I don't want to see him anymore. Now, that could not happen, right? Maybe it doesn't. But we should assume that, you know, if David Letterman couldn't get away with it, a two-time-a-week panelist on MSNBC or CNN probably can't get away with it either. Yeah. A lot of times the phone call doesn't have to be made because it's understood. It's happening by implication. And that makes it a more difficult problem to solve. If it was really just a quid pro quo, you could say, oh, this is corruption. You know, Let's put an end to this. But it's not that easy. It's baked into the way things operate. And hopefully over time that can change because I do think it ultimately is a corrupting force. So hopefully that can change over time. Well, amen. And listen, you know, I want to speak for all of us here at the Lincoln Project when we say thank you for the work that you do on a daily basis. So where can the folks that listen sign up and subscribe to Popular Information? You can go to popular.info and sign up. Okay. And where can we find you on social media? Mostly on Twitter at Judd Legum, L-E-G-U-M. All right. And for everybody out there, of course, you can always find me on Twitter at Reed Galen. Judd, I want to thank you for joining me today. I hope that um, as more corporate finance and candidate finance reports come out, that we can have you back on and we can see where the state of play is with this. Until then, just want to thank you for coming on. And for everybody else out there, we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter at Project Lincoln. And for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. Also, be sure to check out our LPTV lineup, including The Breakdown with Tara Setmayer and Rick Wilson, which airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, as well as We're Speaking with Lisa Senecal and Maya May, which airs Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern. All shows you can stream live on the Lincoln Project's YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter pages. And we'd love you to join us for our newest show, Lunch with Lincoln, which airs every Friday at noon Eastern on our YouTube channel. For the Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. See you on the next episode. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.